Well, it is great to be here. Great to see all these smiling faces. And it is true, I am one-eighth Irish. I hope that we're going to walk away with something new. Um, I have a picture. I'm not sure if we can put up my picture. There we go. 1940. You ever heard of a river runs through it? Uh, it's based on the Clark's Fork River. It's an actual story of the Clark's Fork River in Missoula, Montana. That is a picture of the Clark's Fork River in Missoula, Montana. 1940, my mother was 10 years old. She was playing with some of her 10-year-old kids. And back then it was, you know, the tail end of the, uh, the uh, Depression. And to have fun, the kids would go on the ice in the river and break off chunks of ice. They'd jump on them and break off the chunks and, and watch them float down the fast-moving river and hit the concrete pylons where the bridge was and smash to pieces. And it was like fireworks to them. You know, they'd break off chunks. They would go down and they'd see these pieces be smashed to bits. It was January. It was very, very cold, uh, far below zero. And as they were playing, one of the kids jumped on one of the pieces it broke off as normal, but he couldn't get off the piece. He slid with it and started headed downriver to where all these pieces would be smashed to bits. So my mother, whose house was right next to the river, started screaming to her father. Hollis Stritch was right. That picture there, it's my grandfather. And screaming that a kid was floating down the river on a piece of ice. And so he ran out of the house, took off his jacket, his boots, dove in the water, swam out to the piece of ice and swam the piece of ice back to the shore, saving the kid. And when I was a kid, I was like amazed that he had saved this kid's life and we knew who this kid was. He, of course, was my mother's age. And so we'd visit his restaurant and he would always come out and thank, thank us for my grandfather's heroism. So I tried to talk to Grandpa Stretch, and this is the Irish one, by the way. He was half Irish. His dad was born in Ireland. Um, tried, to, tried to talk to him about it, but he didn't want to talk about it. I said, but you saved this kid's life. But, but you know, you could have died. The water was so cold. Why did you dive into the water? You, you could have died. He's like, are you out of your mind? The kid was going to die. I just got wet. Yeah, it was cold. But all that I suffered was getting wet and cold. But this kid would have surely died. And I never, I'll never forget that going away thinking, I guess the stakes sometimes in life, the stakes are just too high to do nothing. That the circumstances simply demand that we leave our comfort zone for a much higher goal than what we're currently living and so that's what I want to talk about today. Second Kings chapter 7. Now I'm going to call this a parable. It isn't officially a parable because it isn't a earthly story with a heavenly meaning so much as it is an actual event that took place. But as we read through this, we're all going to see ourselves in the story. And so in that sense, it does become a parable. Because we're going to see a king, we're going to see a prophet, we're going to see a leper, we're actually going to see four lepers. We're going to see a lot of other people that are in this story. And as we go through it, the goal, as with any parable, the goal that your goal is to figure out where do I fit 
in this parable? Where do I fit in this story? Because it's really a great story. Now, we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 6, because that's the context, and then the parables in chapter 7. But let's, let's start in chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 24. And within this context, and I forgot my Bible, hang on. nice that we can all carry around a Bible like this? This is awesome. It works so well. Second Kings. We're going to actually start in chapter 6. So Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 24. And I'll read uh, 24 through 30. This is the context of chapter 7. It says, Sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, and Aram is modern-day Syria. So the king of Syria mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid waste, laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter cob of seed pods for five shekels. Desperate situation. A donkey's head was selling for the equivalent of over $500. And to a Jew, a donkey head was unclean. So you've got an, un- and not even that appetizing. I mean, anybody said, hey, let's go out for Italian. Let's go out for donkey head. You know, roast donkey head. I mean, it, it's not appealing. There's very little meat on a donkey head. And so for five, over $500 for that, and Pods that you could barely eat were selling for like 10 bucks, 11 bucks. That, it, it doesn't make any sense. But they were, it was a desperate situation. As the king of Israel was passing by the wall, a woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the Lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? Then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, This woman said to me, Give up your son so we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So we cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, give up your son so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. This is horrible. It's an unbelievably desperate situation. They're losing their mind. We're not going to kill our son and eat him. We're going to kill us. We would rather die than something happen to our kids. So they're, they're literally losing their mind. They're not thinking straight. They, they can't even reason. They can't see their way out. They, they, they just think, I guess this is what we have to do because there's nothing else to do. So it's, it's bad. So this is the situation. Of course, Israel was always in trouble. After Solomon died, his son was very unwise. And there was a long line of evil kings leading the northern kingdom of Israel. Because after Solomon's son died, he, he, he was so foolish that there was a division in the nation. And there were the ten tribes called northern, the northern kingdom or Israel. And then there were the southern tribes that were simply called Judah. And so this is, this is about ten kings into after Solomon. It's about 80 years. It's almost 3,000 years ago. It's about 850 B.C. 
And Israel's in trouble again. They're under siege again. They were always in trouble. Why? Because of idolatry. They just weren't faithful to God. They would, they would rather follow their own inclinations than God's word. And so God allowed this to happen constantly. Anyway, this is the situation. Now, you're ready for the parable. Okay. So as we read this, the goal is find yourself. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Elijah, Elijah was the prophet. I'm sorry, Elisha. Elisha the prophet replied, Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a say of finest flour will sell for a shekel and two sayas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Out of the blue, in this terribly desperate situation, the king went to the prophet to want to kill him because of the situation in Israel. Because, of course, when things are going bad in your life, you kill. Who do you kill? The messenger. You never look at yourself. You look at the messenger. In fact, I think we maybe have learned that from Jerome, too, today. <laughs> so the king was upset. He went to the messenger to kill the messenger. But the messenger had a message that blew him away. He says tomorrow at this time, within 24 hours, a miracle is going to happen. Prices are going back to normal. The finest flour will sell for normal or if not below normal prices. And barley's going to sell at below normal prices. This is amazing because a donkey said was selling for over 500 bucks. And now within 24 hours, this siege, something's going to happen. But there's going to be so much food in Samaria the prices will go back to normal. This is amazing news. This is incredible. What do you do when you've got news this good? What do you do? Well, what did the king do? Well, first of all, the officer responded. So this is 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 2. The officer on whom's arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? You see, sometimes news is so good, you just can't really believe it. So it's too good for some to believe. Elisha answered. Let's see how Elisha answered this guy, because this is a challenge. You know, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? So Elisha answered, well, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat any of it. See, it's dangerous to doubt the Word of God. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Let's continue. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And why were they at the entrance of the city gate, not in the city? Because they were lepers. They said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we'll live. If they kill us, then we'll die. I mean, what do you have to lose? You're going to die. You're going to die anyway. It's just a matter of time. You're going to die. It's just a matter of time. But they thought, you know, 
there's a small chance that the enemy, the Arameans, the enemy will spare us for lepers and feed us. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) You want lepers to come into the camp. But you know what? They thought, yeah, it's a stretch, but it's our only shot. It's our only chance that we might live. Okay, so verse 5. At dusk, and that's important, by the way, at dusk, they got up and went into the camp, the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. And they left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. This is a miracle. You've got this massive army sieging Samaria. They are on the verge of victory. And they hear the sound of chariots and horses. And who else heard this? No one else. No one. Just the enemies heard this massive army and they panicked. In the middle of the night, at dusk, they panicked. They got up, they fled, they left everything. And wow, this is amazing. And when did all this happen? You see, when the lepers decided to risk their lives and step out and do something gutsy and something and just do something different and we can't just sit here we got to do something. We're going to die. Let's go over there. And when they made that decision to do something by faith, God blessed it. At that very moment, at dusk, when they said at dusk, let's go over, God said, let me show you how I feel about that decision. Wow. Verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp. No one was there. No sounds could be heard. It says they entered one of the tents. No one was there. They ate and drank and were really, really happy. They took silver and gold and clothes and they were really fired up. Look, there's gold and silver. Remember how much lepers have? Are they wealthy people, lepers? They are the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, the poorest of the poorest of the poor. And now suddenly they've got gold and silver and clothes and food and drink, and they are excited. (laughs) Life couldn't be better. The situation could not have been better. They went off and hid those things. They returned, entered another tent, took some other things from it, hid them also. They probably went back and forth, back and forth. This was a miracle for them. A literal miracle. They went from starving and poor to be having absolutely everything beyond their comprehension. The wealth of an entire army before them for only four of them. But something happened. In the middle of all that excitement, in the middle of all that thrill about the food and the gold and the silver and the clothes and all that, something happened to them. 
God worked another miracle, you might say, on their conscience. Verse 9. Then they said to each other, what we're doing isn't right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. Suddenly they realized we could save lives. There are people starving, thousands of people starving in the city. And here we are with all this wealth and everything we've ever dreamed of. But we need to help them. We can't just sit here and do nothing. The masses need to know what we know. Now, it's a risky thing for lepers to go back to the city wall and say this. I mean, think about it. Were lepers trusted? Were they even looked on with any kind of admiration? No. They actually had to say unclean to people who would approach them. They were the untouchables. So it was a risky thing to go to the city and start reporting, Hey, good news! The army's gone! We're feasting gold, silver, clothes! Yeah. Verse 10. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went into the Aramean camp, and no one was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. Yeah, right. It's just too good to believe. The gatekeepers, I mean, they shouted the news. It was amazing that the gatekeepers did it, but they did. The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. The king got up in the night and said to his officers, I'll tell you what those Arameans have done to us. They know we're starving. So they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out and then we'll take them alive and get into the city. The king didn't believe it. What had happened to the king? He forgot. What did he forget? Remember what he was told by the prophet? He completely forgot about it. He would rather the city starve than him be humiliated by being tricked. You know, pride and cynicism can be deadly. Forgetting God's promises can be fatal. Typical that God just says it once and that's it. Sure, we want to be reminded a lot. But when God says it, God means it. Verse 13, one of his officers answered. Maybe he believes. One of his officers answered, have some of the men take five of the horses. I like that. Have some of the men. Have some of the men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Five of the horses that are left in the city. What happened to the other horses? Yeah, they got eaten. It says, have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Their plight would be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like one of all the Israelites who are doomed. They're going to die. We're all going to die. They're going to die. Just send them out. So let us send them to find out what happened. Was he a believer? Not much of one, or he would have what? Gone himself. But at least he was a little bit of a risk taker. He said, hey, let's send some people out there. He didn't want to go, but let's send some others out there to figure out what happened. Verse 14, so they selected two chariots with their horses and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as the Jordan, 
Jordan River, and they found the whole road strewn with the clothing and equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a seah of finest flour sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley sold for a shekel, just as the Lord had said. Just as the Lord had said. What a reversal of fortune from starving and certain death to going in and plundering the camp of the enemy and capturing all the gold and the silver and the food and the flour and the barley and the donkeys and the horses and no one ever ate donkey head again. These lepers had gone from being losers and despised by the world and a, and a joke to being heroes. There were streets probably named after these guys because they had enough guts and courage and mind to go do something and go to the wall and report the news. And yeah, the guys in the city gate are like, oh yeah, sure, that's going to happen. Oh yeah, oh you betcha. But they just kept saying it. It's true, it's true. Finally the king said, well, what's going on here? Somebody said, well, let's go out and check it out. But when it was proved that it was true, those lepers that took that gutsy move at dusk to go do something, they were heroes. Wow. I want a faith like that. I don't don't just sit around. Let's do something. Let's get just a standard status quo. No. Let's do something. I want to be that guy. Out to the camp. Leave the treasure. Announce at the gate. But you know, it wasn't good news to everybody, right? You remember another thing that just as the Lord had said, you remember? Because when the Lord says it, he means it. Verse 17 of it. Now, the king had put the officer on whose arm he leaned in charge of the gate. Remember this guy? Remember what that guy said? Well, what happened to that guy? It says, and the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. Just as the man of God had foretold. When the king came down to his house, it happened just as the man of God had said to the king about this time tomorrow, if say a finest flour will sell for a shekel and two sayas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. The officer had said to the man of God, look, even if the Lord should open up the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? The man of God had replied, you will see it with your own eyes. You will not eat any of it. And that is exactly what happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gateway and he died. Wow, what a way to die. You hear the good news. You know it's going to happen. You're, you're, you're hungry. You just can't wait to eat that apple. And you get trampled in the gateway and die. It's a dangerous thing to doubt the Lord. So what lesson do we learn from this? It's a parable. What lesson do we learn? It's actually about us. This story is actually about us. Thousands of years later, thousands of years later, we're right back in the story. We're right back in the Bible. We can practically put our name 
to some of these people. I mean, who, who are the main characters? Let's name the main characters. We've got who? We've got the king. We've got the prophet Elisha. We've got the lepers. We've got the officer. We've got the enemy, the Aramean army. God, yeah? So let's talk about this. Let's talk about what these characters represent. Let's find ourselves in this parable. Elisha. What does Elisha represent? The promises. God's Word. The Word of God. When we read the Bible, it's like listening to Elisha, the prophet. And the Bible's full of promises. Loaded. Packed. With all these promises. Who are these promises for? Whoever reads the Word of God. So that's Elisha. King Joram, the king of Israel. King Joram, who does he represent? He represents the play it safe guy, the king. Now, let's step back and hang on here. Before we do anything too risky, before we do anything too jumpy here, let's, uh, let's, let's evaluate. He, he certainly didn't want to be embarrassed. problem with King Joram is in all his smartness, he forgot the word of God, and that is fatal. You know, our, our intelligence can actually be stronger than what the Bible says. And when that happens, when our intelligence takes over our lives and our thinking more than the Bible, then we become King Joram. We become that guy that's living off his brains and not living off of faith in the Word of God. He forgot God's Word, forgot the promises. Maybe you can relate to that. You know, King Joram at least could have gone back to Elisha and said, hey, is this true? He didn't say, hey, let's go check with the prophet before we go out. He could have even said that, but he said nothing. I've been there. I've wanted to do stuff to protect myself, even though the Bible says God's with me. A royal official. Remember the royal official, the right-hand man? Remember what happened to him? Trampled to death in the city gate. Who is he today? He's the cynic. He's the spiritual Eeyore. It'll never happen to me. God will bless everybody else, but He doesn't bless me. I'm too much of a sinner to be blessed. Even if the Lord should open up the floodgates of heaven, could I meet anybody open? People just aren't open for me. They're open for others, but not for me. Wow. That's quite a challenge to God. I've been there too. Can you relate to that guy? That's the royal official. How about another character? The good idea officer. Remember the good idea officer? Hey, let's have some other people go out there. Have you ever been that guy? That's the Bible talk leader. Hey, let's go share our faith. Yeah, we all go out there. The Bible's not going to leave. Well, you guys go there. You go there. You go there. I'm going to be here for anybody that comes. But it's not just the Bible talk leader. It's any of us who just inspire others. Yeah, God's going to bless you. Yeah, you're going to meet open people. But you don't believe what you're saying for you. That's the good idea, officer. The Aramean army. Who's that? Who's the Aramean army? Yeah, it's the enemy. It's the enemy. It's Satan. What does the enemy do? 
to the people of God. The enemy surrounds the people of God, intimidates the people of God, threatens the people of God, shouts lies to the people of God. So much so that the people of God are just trembling and starving and what can we do? And they're petrified. That's what the Aramean army does. The Aramean army just will throw all kinds of excuses as to why you can't change your situation. Fill you full of fear that you're not going to be blessed. The starving people in the city. Who's that represent? Starving people in the city. Actually doesn't represent us. It's the lost. The starving city are those that know nothing of what's going on outside the wall. They're completely oblivious to the feast, to the gold, the silver, the clothes, the amazing fellowship of those that are celebrating God's blessings. There's this party going on, this feast. There's dancing and all this amazing things going on. And the people in the city are those that are starving. They know nothing except to protect themselves with big and high walls to to just protect themselves from the fears and the insecurities and whatever's out there in the dark. They have no idea that their life could be different. It's the lost of the world that are dying every day spiritually. They live, but they've lost their minds. They're eating their own children. Because they don't think straight. They can't think straight because only in Jesus Christ can you think really straight. Only in Jesus Christ can you truly live. Only in Jesus can you see Jesus living through you. The full expression of God coming out and living through your life. But they see nothing of that. Because they're so intimidated by the army. They can't see it. And so where does that leave us in the parable? We have Elisha, we've got King Joram, the royal official, the good idea officer, the Aramean army, the starving people. What's left? Where are we in this parable? We're the lepers. We're the lepers. We're the people that the world disregards, writes off. Some consider us diseased. Others say, well, you're happy. Good for you. We're the lepers that have been rejected. But you know, now it's our turn. Because we went from loser to being in the camp of the Arameans and enjoying the feast. But we can't stop there. There's more to do. We got to become a hero. Maybe to one, maybe to two, maybe to three, maybe to 50 or 100, as Jesus said. It doesn't matter the number, it only matters the faith. Let's look at Matthew 28. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Is this a promise? Is it a commission? Is it an action statement? And it's also a promise. What is the promise? I will be, or as some versions say, I am. I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's our commission. We're the lepers in the camp. We're enjoying the feast. We're blessed every day in abundance. We receive good news daily through the Word of God. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we're feasting and we're eating and we're drinking. And we're getting clothes and gold and silver. and All these amazing spiritual blessings. Forgiveness of sins. The past sins. The present sins. The future sins. Free from guilt. Adopted by God to be His own son. His own daughter. In His own family. We have God's guidance through life's trials and life's rugged path and plans to prosper us by God's promise. Power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in our life. We have the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the future. We have understanding and wisdom and security and freedom from the slavery of sin. Amen. Freedom from fear. We have peace in our hearts. We have true purpose in our life. We have a huge family all over the world that you can go visit whenever you want. We have the resurrection of the body, life eternal, eternity in heaven, no tears to be sitting on the throne with Jesus. Who wouldn't want that? The starving masses want that. But they are blind. They do not know where it is or how far it is or where to reach or how to do it or how to respond. They are lost. They are blind. They don't know. Have we become so used to the blessings in Christ we no longer see them as they are? Have we become so cynical we no longer believe this? Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Do you practice it? You know, you can say you believe it all you want. The demons believe and shudder. It's not what you believe, it's what you, who you are. Do we dare hoard this? Religion does not save. Only the Word of God, the truth, saves. And the starving masses around us have no idea of this. They really are convinced Christianity is simply a religion. Christianity is simply a good religion that has some merits along with all the other world religions that have good merits. They honestly believe this. They do. In their heart. They have no clue that the truth will set them free. The Bible will set them free. The Word of God will set them free. They just don't see it. 
We're the lepers. What do we do? What's the risk? Let's get honest here. What's the risk? What's the risk about going to the city and declaring the good news? What's the risk? Rejection. You're going to get laughed at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the risk. Oh, we're all going to fall apart, aren't we? We're all going to cry. And I don't want to belittle anyone's emotions. But that's what not what my grandfather was thinking when he jumped in those cold waters 80 years ago. And I know it's not where you're at, deep down inside. You didn't get baptized to join a church. You didn't count the cost to join a club. When you got baptized, when you made that decision, you knew exactly what you were doing. You were dying to your old way of life and you were being born again into an amazing mission. An amazing mission with Jesus. To partner with Jesus. To go out into the world and share the good news. And I know what all of us were thinking. I'm going to share it with my mom and my dad and my uncle and my sisters and my brother. And they're all going to become Christians. And then the Aramean army came in and intimidated you. Because they weren't quite as open as you thought and expected. But never give up. I remember working with my mother for years. She kept arguing with me for years. And then one day she just broke down. And she goes, I have a confession. She was 58 years old. I have a confession. Wow, a confession. Finally, after years of studying the Bible, a confession. She goes, I've known this entire time that what you were sharing with me was the truth, but I was too proud to admit it. And a week later, she was baptized. I was standing in line at Pleasantville Pharmacy, and I like to share my faith, as is my custom at Pleasantville Pharmacy, with whoever is standing in line with, wherever it is. So I'm sharing with this woman, and she goes, oh, I'm Jewish. So what's the first response? Oh. It's like, oh, dear, what do I do with this? She was a middle-aged woman. She was very bold, very, you know, like this. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then there was a silence, because I was trying to figure out what to say at this point. Uh, I think I said, well, that's fine, but... I didn't know what else to say. And then all of a sudden she looked at me and she goes, really seriously, she goes, do you preach on sin? She looked angry too. Do you preach on sin? Because I need to hear about sin. If you preach on sin, I'm coming. Like, yeah, I I, I do. (laughs) Several months later, she was baptized. I'm studying the Bible with a guy now that said, you know, I've got to be honest, I'm so grateful to be studying the Bible because I've been praying for months for an answers from God. I nearly gave up on God. And now I'm learning about Him in the Bible. Another guy I'm studying the Bible with said, I've, I've been praying for a long time. I started reading the King James Version and realizing the church I was going to wasn't practicing this. So I was challenging everybody in the church and they would ignore the Bible. I thought, I can't be a part of this if they're ignoring the Bible. So he started visiting all over the place. He couldn't find anybody practicing the Bible. He read through the entire King James, the entire NIV, and he's in the middle of the ESV. For a year and a half, he's been reading the Bible, constantly looking and praying, God, where are these people that I'm reading about? I'm reading about them. Where are they? And he's studying the Bible now. I'll never forget leading the AMP ministry, the arts ministry in Manhattan. And I had a D group with all the leaders, the Bible talk leaders. And 
we were going around sharing how we how we all became Christians, and they kept bringing up this one guy. I won't say his name. I'll just make up a name. Joe. Joe shared his faith with me. Joe shared his faith. Joe shared. Who is this Joe? I mean, like half the Bible talk leaders were invited to church by Joe. I'm like, I don't even know this guy. They said his last name. I don't even know this guy. Can somebody introduce me to Joe on Sunday? So I'm picturing this, you know, 6'4", really good looking, awesome, you know, specimen of a human being, just charismatic and kind of like somebody you'd find on the news, you know. And they introduced me to Joe and this is what happened. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Hey. Hi. So, Joe, you've invited a lot of people to church. Oh. I said, Joe, all these people have become Christians because you've invited them to church. Well, that's good. I said, so, Joe, how do you invite people to church? Hey, want to come to church? I'm like thinking this isn't the right Joe. I went back to the Bible talk leaders and I said, I, I think I got the wrong guy. They go, no, that's him, that's him. I go, well, how on earth did he invite you to church? Hey. It suddenly occurred to me, it's not about me. In fact, it has nothing to do with me. I always thought that my charisma was kind of a help. Anybody else relate to that? I mean, but as it turns out, it's not at all. It turns out that your security has nothing to do with it or your insecurity has nothing to do with it. It turns out that whether you're well-dressed or poorly dressed, it turns out whether you look at the guy in the eye or just do this, it has nothing to do with it. It's all faith. It's all trust. It's all just seeing yourself as simply a leper. Has having nothing to do with it. You have nothing on your own. It's all been given by God. And you simply are bold enough. And you have so much compassion that you look on the lost and your heart wells up and you see lost people and you have compassion and just, hey. And God blesses it. So have you figured out who you are? In the parable. Yeah, we have some characters in this parable. Elisha is the Word of God. We're not going to be the Word of God, but we have the Word of God. King Joram, play it safe guy. Making sure all the calculations would be done before you step out in faith. Of course, by that time, you're not stepping out in faith at all. The royal official, the Eeyore, this, the, the spiritual Eeyore, no, going to happen to me. Even if the Lord should send down the floodgates, open up the floodgates of heaven, nobody open going to come to me. Good idea, officer. Send somebody else out there and find out what happens to them. The Aramean army, that's Satan. Starving people, that's, we're surrounded by the starving people. Millions, millions and millions. The New York City metropolitan area has, what, 25 million people? In the 75-mile radius of Times Square? That only leaves us, the lepers. We're the lepers. You ready to be a good leper? Ready to have that faith? We talked about where the risk is. What's the risk? You know, people could insult you. But what's the reward? What's the reward? You get to be a spiritual hero. You get to share the Word of God 
and see God change lives. Amen.